Welcome to this month's episode of the HDB Discipleship Podcast. In the run-up to the Leadership Conference in May, we're going to be exploring the Book of Ephesians and how that can impact our day-to-day leadership. We're very excited for our featured interview today. We have the Reverend Russell Winfield and Susie King, and they're going to be unpacking some of the themes, some of the content, some of the context of this amazing book. So sit back, listen in. It's going to be a great one. This month in our Sunday Sermon series, we are looking at the book of Ephesians. The series is titled Set Apart. And to help us explore and unpack this letter, we have the Reverend Russell Winfield with us. He's the Director of Development at St. Melitus. Hello, Russell. Hi, it's great to be here. (laughs) Russell, as we unpack the book of Ephesians, it's helpful for us to know why it was written, who it was written to, who it was written by, a little bit around the context and the world of the text. Can you share some of that with us? Sure. It's great that you're looking at Ephesians. I think it's a really great book. It's sometimes been called Paul's puzzling epistle because it it has some puzzling elements to it, some bits that are are hard to get our head around. But I think it's a really great letter. It's great that we're kind of hearing sermons on it about about it in church at the moment. Um, And it's great that people can read it for themselves. If you think of Ephesians as a whole, think of it, it's asking the question, how should the gospel story shape our own story? So how should the story of the gospel in some way shape the story of our lives. When you guys asked me to do this, I was kind of thinking about Ephesians, what I'd want to say. And I found myself on a a longish train journey. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to listen to the whole of Ephesians on the train. I had headphones and I wasn't subjecting the whole (laughs) carriage to it. Um, But I sat there and I listened and I was just traveling through kind of small town after small town. And if you like, that's quite an appropriate way to hear the book of Ephesians, because it's written, and I'll talk about this more in a moment, but it's written uh, for an audience, not of one church, not of just one group of people, but for a number of communities who would have heard this letter and been thinking, okay, well, how does this apply to our context? How does this apply to to my story, to the way that I'm living my life and, and, and trying to be a follower of at the time, I would have called themselves a follower of the way, a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I once preached on this on this book, and I always try to come up with silly titles for sermons and the kind of thing you do. And I remember preaching one sermon, How to Be a Christian on a Wednesday. <laughs> and the idea of this was... Um, that so often we hear something on a Sunday, but I wanted us to take it into the week. I wanted to pick up a kind of, okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus when we're at work, in our schools, our colleges, in our homes, wherever we're kind of socializing in community groups? And Ephesians is a great way for us to think about that. When we read Ephesians, it helps us think about, okay, how do I ground this in my everyday life, in the relationships that I have? Um, Ephesians deals with topic with topics which really are at the very core of what does it mean to be a Christian. It deals with some really essential truths about what does it mean in both faith but also in practice. And so I think Ephesians is great. So this is great that we're oh, looking good. at it. You're the right man for the job well, then. I don't know about that bit. <laughs> if, if I can summarize the whole book, and I think it's useful to, to, to be able to, to get a sense of, okay, well, what is the intent of the whole book? The idea is really two parts. It's about reconciliation and unity. The first part, reconciliation, that Jesus has reconciled all of creation to himself and to God. 
so that Jesus has reconciled all of creation, everything that we see has been reconciled to himself and to God. And what he's done in that, in that reconciliation, he's restored a relationship that was broken, that a relationship with creation that was broken, that when Jesus comes, Jesus restores that, he reconciles that. And so the first big theme, if you like, or the big summary point is that point of reconciliation. The second is about um, unity. And the idea that Jesus has united all people of all nations to himself and to one another. So he's united people to himself, but also to each other, saying that actually, no, what matters is not just your relationship with God, but how that works out. How does that impact other people? And they're two really important themes for us when we think about living in 2018, this idea of reconciliation and unity. And so it seems there's lots we can draw from this book. Obviously, it was written to a particular group of people at a particular time, but it still has loads of relevance for us in our lives now. Yeah, definitely. I think it has massive relevance. And, you know, as we kind of put headings to these things and try to help people think about it, I think just as people read it or hear it preached on, there will be things that just straight away resonate with them as, as the spirit whispers to say, actually, you know, what does that mean for you? And hopefully there's really valuable things that people can take from that and see, OK, well, what does this kind of uh, mean for how I'm going to live my life? Um, so hopefully that's helpful. And Russell, can you tell us uh, Ephesus? of which the Ephesians come from, we yeah. assume. <laughs> yeah, that's Am correct. I correct? Yeah, so if you think, yeah, very much correct. So you think uh, modern-day Turkey, you're kind of down in the southwest of Turkey. So that's where it, it is today. Um, it doesn't exist as a town today. It's a tourist destination, quite a popular tourist destination. Um, but it is a place where Paul had visited a number of times, but now is not there He's writing from somewhere else. So Ephesus was um, uh, a kind of town, a city. It was built around the 10th century BC, and so kind of about a 1,000 years before Jesus. But in 129 BC, it came under Roman rule. And in coming under Roman rule, it begins to achieve more prominence. It begins to become a more important city in kind of Roman Asia Minor, we might say. It's very hard to predict kind of populations of places back then, depending on how you understand population density. But it's going to be somewhere in the region of kind of 50 to 170,000 people. Now, I know that's a big, <laughs> a big bracket of people, but, but it gives you a sense of its kind of size. It was going to be destroyed by the Goths in 263. So it has this kind of three or four hundred year period of prominence. Ephesus, therefore, is one of the largest cities of the region. It's also very prominent because it had a number of gods there. It had a number of these different gods who were vying for attention, most famously one called Artemis. And there's the temple of Artemis in Ephesus. And this was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this fabulous temple. We can uh, not see it today, but we know that this was of absolute kind of paramount prominence in this area. If you read the book of Acts, it's talked about there's a silversmith called Demetrius, and he's worried that the livelihood of the people connected to the temple Artemis is going to be threatened. And this is talked about in Acts chapter 19, which is a very important chapter, Acts 19, for understanding Ephesians. And I'll, I'll come back to that. But, but that's the kind of place we are. So we're in Ephesus. Now, how does Paul get there? How does Paul build a relationship with it? 
Well, Paul takes three missionary journeys, really. The first one, he goes out around about 47, 48, and he travels with a guy called Barnabas. And they, they don't go that far, generally speaking. They go to Cyprus and to Galatia. So they don't quite get to, Ephes- uh, to Ephesus. But then on his second journey, a couple of years later, he goes on a much bigger sweep of the region through Turkey, Macedonia, and Greece. And on the way back from there, he stops in this place called Ephesus, doesn't spend long there. It's just a kind of stop on the way home. Don't really have much information about that. But then he goes on a third missionary journey. And this third missionary journey begins around about 52. And he stops almost as his first stopping point. Not quite, but almost one of his first stopping points is in Ephesus. And he spends two years there, approximately two years there. And all sorts happens in that two years. And that's really what Acts 19 is. So Acts 19 will tell us what happened in those two years uh, of Paul's time in Ephesus. And we can summarize that. Paul was baptizing in the spirit. He was speaking about the kingdom of God, how that kingdom would make an impact on Jews and Greeks. Uh, We're told that the word of the Lord spread widely and with power. It's a very exciting time. And then it reaches crescendo where there's a riot And there's a riot between Artemis and these other guards and the followers of the way. And so then Paul leaves. And so we get this sense that, okay, well, Paul has been there, but now he's not there. Now, Paul continues on his missionary journey. He ends up back in Jerusalem in 57, and he's arrested in Jerusalem. And he's imprisoned in a place called Caesarea. And while in Caesarea, he makes an appeal to Rome. He says, look, I want my case to be heard by the the top people, really. I want to be heard by Caesar. I want to make that appeal. I'm a Roman citizen. And so Paul is sent to Rome, and he's placed under house arrest in Rome. From the year 60 to 62, we're not 100% sure, but in the early 60s, Paul is under house arrest in Rome, and he begins to write letters. He's been writing letters already. We think he probably wrote one Corinthians when he was in that two-year window in Ephesus. But while he's in prison in Rome, he writes letters. And he writes what's sometimes called the prison epistles. That would be Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. And Ephesians is this letter, like those other three, which is written when Paul is in chains. So wherever you're hearing the sermon preached, wherever you're reading Ephesians, remember that. Remember that Paul is writing from house arrest. Yes. He's writing in chains. And so he begins to write this letter to the church in Ephesus. And you've mentioned, obviously, the worship um, of gods and goddesses in Ephesus. What are some other aspects of the culture of Ephesus that are important for us to be aware of when reading this text? Yeah. Multicultural, we might say. Um, And that comes out in a number of ways. One, in this kind of worship of different gods, but also there was Jews and Greeks there. And so you get this mixing of people of two different faiths uh, or two different kind of understandings. And so, again, when we think of London, a kind of diverse melting pot of people, Ephesus, on a much smaller scale, you could say, has some of those characteristics. It's It's a very diverse place. It's also a place which has a vibrancy to it. If you look at it on a map, you'll see it occupies a kind of quite nice area of the world in terms of its coastal access. And and, and so it's a, a place with vibrancy. There's life in it. There's people passing through Ephesus, as Paul did. And it's probably worth saying that Paul stopped there for a reason. Paul must have sensed, oh, this has a strategic importance 
There's a reason for being here. And there's a reason why this letter has the name Ephesians. It's been attached to it. And I, I said a moment ago, and I'll talk more about this in a second, about its audience. But, but Paul clearly sees that it's not just for Ephesians. It's for a wider audience. But Ephesians is a good kind of way to address this wider audience. And so there seems to be a real diversity there, which I think London uh, mirrors. There's a real sense of vibrancy, of energy about the place. As I say, it's a relatively new city, but within the kind of Roman Asia Minor area, it has a real sense of importance. Uh, Things which we probably can relate to in London. Absolutely. Can you talk us through how the, the format of the letter, how it's written? Yeah, so the, the letter is kind of how you and I would write a letter today. So it, it starts, you know, with a kind of greeting. And so Paul starts... <laughs> Dear Russell. Yeah, no? that's right. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very, what we might say, standard Pauline introduction. Paul introducing himself and telling us who the letter is for, really, and giving this kind of grace and peace. He's just really welcoming them. And the letter finishes in the same way. It has a salutation. It finishes in the way we'd expect it to finish. But really, it's a letter in two parts. So it has chapters one to three are part A, if you like, and chapters four to six are part B. If you think of chapter one to three as about doctrine. It's about our relationship with God. And Paul's unpacking that in some quite interesting ways. And then chapters four to six is about ethics, about, okay, well, what does it mean to live this? What does it mean for our relationship with others? And so the first half is about our relationship with God. And our second half is about our relationship with other people. And we can bracket this in various ways. So we might say the first half is about our position in Christ. And the second half is about our practice on earth. The first half, we might say, is profound theological truths. The second half is about how to live. Um, But I find the most helpful way of remembering this is think of the first half about God's accomplishments and the second half as our assignments. And it's not an exact division, but really chapters one to three are about God's accomplishments and chapters four to six are about our assignments, how are we called to live. So that's, if you like, the shape of the letter. And that is helpful because when somebody says, oh, have you read Ephesians 3.14? You're thinking to yourself, okay, so is this going to teach me something about my relationship with God? Or if somebody says, oh, have you seen about the armor of God in chapter 6? Okay, so that's telling me something about how do I live with other people? And so hold those things loosely, but they're just a useful way of understanding the wider kind of context. And is that order significant, Russell, the first part of it about being God's accomplishments and our assignments? Do you, like, why does, why does the shape of that letter matter so much? Uh, it's a very good question. I think it probably is important. It's not one I've thought of before, but you're probably right that we need to get our relationship with God right before we try to kind of work on our relationship with others. So I don't know whether Paul did that. That's a unique Susie insight. <laughs> Thank you. That's the only one I'm going to give you. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. But it makes sense, doesn't it? I think when we just think about what it means to yeah. follow Jesus, it's our understanding of him which shapes how we live, shapes our character so that when we interact with others, 
that's possible. So it does make sense. Whenever we, it's rare for us, I know I did it on the train, but it, it's rare for us to sit down and read a whole letter. Yes. So I think it's always important to know the shape of a letter, to understand, okay, well, well, where does this fit? It's why context is always important. It's why when you watch, whatever you're watching on Netflix, I remember watching, you watch 24, whenever you watch yeah. 24, it always open with previously on 24. When you open the Bible, you need to kind of be thinking, okay, previously, why, where are, unless you're reading Genesis 1-1, where, <laughs> what has happened? You know, yeah. what has brought Paul to write this letter? Why is the letter in this shape? Why, what comes after it as well is an important question to ask. And what are the kind of themes that come out of it? Well, on that point, what are some of the, the major themes of, of the letter to the Ephesians? Because we don't quite know its purpose. It's an interesting letter because when you look at some letters, it's really obvious that Romans is written for the church in Rome and he really addresses some questions about what it means to be Jew and Gentile and all of those things. Ephesians, it's it's slightly vague. And we can end up thinking, well, okay, who is this for? And therefore, how does that answer the theme question? Because it's unlikely to have been written to a single church in Ephesus. There wasn't like one church which got this letter and said, this is our letter. And that's kind of where it ended. It's not personal enough. There's no kind of references to people in specific ways. There's not Paul doesn't answer any specific questions. It's much more general rather than situational. And so we know it's sent to a more general area of Asia Minor, um, which included Ephesus. But my guess, and it is a guess, is a community of believers received it and then shared it. They, they, they passed it on. They received the letter and then they shared it. Hey, we've had this from Paul. This is important. You read it as well. It's important to remember that Paul wrote this letter for Jews and Gentiles. So this wasn't of a secondary nature. This was primary. Paul was saying, actually, no, how these groups get along is going to be an incredible witness to the world. And it's going to speak loudly. And it comes back to this idea, these two big themes I talked about, about reconciliation and unity in Christ. And so those are the things which lead us in to say, okay, well, what are these major themes? Now, the first one we might want to say is one of Christology, that Christology is a major theme. And what I mean by this is there's a high Christology. There is a high opinion of Jesus in the letter of Ephesians. And the focus is on Jesus's resurrection more than Jesus's death. What Paul is wanting to say is, look, Jesus is Lord over all powers, and that includes death that this is Jesus risen from the dead. And so there's a very high Christology. Uh, that we get that Jesus is the source, that Jesus is the cornerstone in chapter 2, verse 20, that Jesus is the goal for which we are to strive to attain towards. That's in chapter 4. So there's a sense of a, there's a high Christology that Paul is wanting to say, here is Jesus Christ who died for your sins, yes, but more, he rose from the dead. He overcame death. And so the first theme I'd want to say is Christology. The second is soteriology. Um, So salvation is a a theme within the letter, more than, if you like, justification. So if you read a letter like Romans or Galatians, there's real emphasis of justification by grace over works of the law. Whereas in Ephesians, Paul is saying, well, what matters is you're saved by grace. And so chapter 2, verse 5 will say something like this. 
picking up at verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So very explicit, you have been saved by grace. So there's a real focus on that. And part of that emphasis that Paul gives is explained by the context of things we've talked about already. But salvation is an important theme in the letter. Another one is ecclesiology, talking about the church. And it's interesting in Ephesians because Paul has moved beyond references to kind of local assemblies of believers. He's no longer talking about you 20 people there, but he's talking about a much more universal church. He's talking about something with a much broader kind of understanding. And he talks about it in his way, which is saying you are one. You are not a number of different things but you are all part of a universal ecclesia, a universal church. And he he begins to define it. So he says that you are one, chapter four, verse four. He says you're defined because you are holy in chapter five. He talks about it's universal in chapter one, verse 22 and 23, and it being apostolic. And so there's another emphasis that we get from Ephesians that wow, the church is not just me and my buddies, but actually there's something Paul wants to open our eyes to something much bigger that we are still part of. So it's to say, actually, get beyond yourselves, but also see yourselves as part of this. You are part of the body. And Paul develops that body theme in a number of ways in a number of his letters. But hopefully it's a a theme familiar to those people listening now that actually I'm not just part of HGB, or I'm not just part of Courtfield Gardens or, or whatever kind of service they're attached to, but they're part of the wider church of Christians who profess their faith in Manila or in Madagascar or wherever it is that they're committed to Jesus Christ and followers of him. So another theme is ecclesiology. Another one is pneumatology, the Holy Spirit. Um, the idea that there is a need, Paul really wants to emphasize, we have a need for the Holy Spirit that you cannot read Ephesians and come away from it thinking, oh, I can do this by myself. Paul has really emphasized you need the Holy Spirit. He says it's a promise in chapter 1, verse 13. Let me just read that for you. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Every chapter of Ephesians mentions the Spirit. It mentions the Spirit at work. And Paul in his prayers, we see this come out. And it's a very Trinitarian letter. If you just, we won't go into it now, but if you read the letter of Ephesians, you see Paul's very careful to mention Father, Son, and Spirit. And so Paul is doing a number of things, but he's saying, as I talk about your relationship with God, as I talk about your relationship with other people, rely on the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit which will, will enable these things to, to flourish and blossom. And then the final thing, or the final theme, and this list is by no means exhaustive, uh, but it's one of peace. We see that if you've got uh, kind of normal English translation, we'll say peace, but really it's coming from uh, the Hebrew word shalom. And this is the idea that the world is broken, that sin has entered the world. It's brought brokenness into the world. And the only remedy to that brokenness is peace, is shalom. And that is only found in Jesus Christ. And so shalom is this idea of wholeness, of fullness, of health, but it describes life as it could be, as it should be, a a vibrancy, a fullness, a a sense of being unrestrained. And so 
what Paul is saying is that the church is the first fruits of God's shalom in the world. That it is a witness. The church in some way exists as a witness to the world. So really, what it's saying, and what I think one of the things I take away from what Paul writes in Ephesians, is Paul is saying, listen, you're a group of believers, wherever you're reading this, you're a group of believers. It's important that you get on with one another, but remember, you're telling a story to the world outside, and the world is struggling in many different ways. It's broken. And in Jesus Christ, we know that there is peace, there is shalom to be found. And so your witness to the world is to show them Jesus, to show them the peace that can only be found in him. And so Paul unpacks that in a number of ways, but I think that's just a really important theme. You pick it up mostly in chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. I'd encourage people to go and read just those five verses, chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, to get a sense of what Paul is saying about how we as a church are witnesses or are our advocates for the peace that is only found in Jesus Christ. This is so good, Russell. What what can we draw from this letter that has meaning for our lives now, 2018, as people learning to follow the way of Jesus? I think one of the things I'd want to say is that God is utterly reckless in his love for all people. We need to mirror that character. We need to think how, as a community, can we be reckless in the way we, we love all people? Not just those who look like us, not just those who love us back, but for all people. Because that's what Paul is saying in this letter. Paul is saying that here is a God who is reckless, who loves everyone. And so that's very important. It's not our efforts, it's not our abilities, it's not our nationality, but it's through grace, through forgiveness. That's how we approach God, and it is God who loves us. And so Paul is saying that we approach God through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think for us in London today, we need to be open to those things. We need to be open to the work of Jesus Christ in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. That means when we gather together as a community, they're the things we should look for. It's why we pray together at the end of a service, while we have ministry time. Because what we're saying is, I need God. It's a declaration to say, not that I'm weak, but uh, but I want to be strengthened by God. So then on Monday or whatever the day of the week is, that we return to our normal workplaces or schools, colleges, whatever it might be, we go out as people filled with the Spirit. Paul always talks about we're not filled once, but it's an ongoing filling. It's what Nicky talks about in Alpha, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, where it's not a one-off filling, but we go on being filled. And so that's the first kind of really practical thing I would want to say, that God is reckless, and the way that we can live recklessly in loving other people is to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Um, the second thing that Ephesians really wants to make clear is that spiritual growth, the way that we grow, occurs primarily in community. It doesn't occur primarily by ourselves. Now, we live in a weird society, a weird world at the moment, where so much of what we do is ultimately on our own. We might be on social media or something, but but a lot of our lives, we can feel isolated, even in a city like London. And what Paul is saying is actually the church god's gift of the church is a community which can help you grow the book of proverbs talks about iron sharpening iron and we get this idea coming through in ephesians that actually it's within community 
where we're mixing with different people, people from different backgrounds, different understandings, that that community will help us prosper, will help us grow. And so the church becomes a community of challenge and of change. It's why HCB is such a great place to be part of, because when you gather with the people that you worship with on a Sunday, when you gather in connect groups, when you come to a Kingdom Come event, whatever it is, you are gathering with people who are challenging you, and you're being changed by that, and you're changing them. We, we don't gather as robots. We, we don't come the same and leave the same, but through the work of the Holy Spirit, transformation happens. And so they're, they're the things that I would want people to take away, that the, the church is given as a community of change, a community of challenge, a community where we can grow, and that uh, God is reckless in his love. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are called to that same mission of being reckless with how we love the world. So good. Russell, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the HTB Discipleship Podcast. If people want to hang out with you more, if they want to glean some more of your wisdom, how can they do that? I would really encourage, we run something called School of Theology, um, and we're doing a special summer School of Theology. It begins in June. If they head to HTB website, click on the link to SPTC, St. Paul's Theological Centre, they'll see a link to School of Theology. That would be a great thing to look at. We're delving into the Gospel of John. That's a great thing. Or look at any of the programs we run at St. Melitus. Um, I would just encourage people to come on Sundays, hear God's Word preached, open their Bibles and read Ephesians. So good. Thanks so much, Russell. Thank you. Well, there's so much to think about and process. To help us reflect, we have a very special treat. HCB's worship director, Sam Bailey, has given a track off his album, Gold. This is Dove, so sit back and enjoy.
So that's just about all we've got time for this month. So please do check out the next month's episode. And in the meantime, if you have any suggestions or feedback, then please email it to discipleship at hdb.org. Otherwise, see you soon. Bye.